Stand and deliver. Hello and welcome to the Stand and Deliver comedy podcast with me, Rodders. I'm a stand-up comedian, obviously I'm a podcaster, otherwise you wouldn't be listening to me now, and I run the Stand and Deliver comedy club up above Smoking Billy's in the centre of Reading. Who's this show for? Well, you. You listening right now, you're probably either a stand-up comic or you are a fan of comedy. It's the sort of person that loves to go out and watch stand-up comedy because it is, I'm a bit biased here, it is, I think, one of the greatest art forms that's ever been invented. It's certainly the art form that goes best with a nice pint of beer. Um, so this podcast uh, lets you into the weird behind-the-scenes world of stand-up comedy. I let you into the weird world I live in. And it's also an interview show as well. Uh, The sort of unwritten rule is that I interview people that have either performed at the Stand and Deliver Comedy Club or they've people I've met on the road at other people's gigs where I've been performing and we've had uh, time and a chance to, to record a podcast. Now, I've been away at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. I've been back about a week, and uh, well, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm still jet-lagged. How do you get jet-lag flying from or getting the train from Scotland to England? Well, if you do a late-night show, that's how your whole body clock goes goes to bits it's ridiculous but while i was there i had the time to record some very very exciting interviews for the podcast and amongst my edinburgh fringe interviews was the guest for today's show colt cabana so in a stand and deliver comedy podcast first i interviewed a professional wrestler but you're probably thinking what place does a wrestler have on a podcast that's meant to be about comedy? Well, he's not just a wrestler. He's been appearing at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival for over seven years, where he does a show where it's brilliant. It's just him and his comedy friends, uh, including John Hastings, and uh, they just sit down and they watch ridiculous clips from wrestling. And it's, it's hilarious. He's also a stand-up comedian in his own right and a huge fan of stand-up comedy and a big supporter of the art. He may not have come to Reading to perform at the Standard Deliver Comedy Club, but Colt Cabana was good enough to perform at my Edinburgh show last year. I ran a show at the ungodly hour of 11am, and that is very early for Edinburgh because stuff goes on all night. Uh, It was called Murph in the Morning, and Colt Cabana was good enough to get out of bed early and come and do a stand-up set for me. Although there was a bit of confusion and he wasn't expecting it to be a comedy show uh, we'll hear about that in the interview but it just shows you what a mad and wonderful place edinburgh is uh, if you can uh, have a professional wrestler get out of bed at a ungodly hour of the morning and come and perform stand-up comedy <laughs> it's brilliant uh, so i just just before we get on to the interview with colt cabana i just thought i'd tell you give you a quick recap of what i did in edinburgh uh, now i my idea my original idea was to go to edinburgh with my own solo show uh, but if you don't know how the edinburgh fringe festival works uh, they take the whole city of edinburgh and every little corner basically gets turned into a venue for stand-up comedy um absolutely mad anything from the top deck of a double decker bus to the smallest cupboard in the smallest of bars gets turned into a venue and i'm not even exaggerating now how it works you have to apply because there's only so many venues and there's a ridiculous number of comics and i think the number of comics must be hitting bursting point at the moment because uh annoyingly and upsettingly, to be honest, I didn't get a room. So I wasn't going to go to Edinburgh this year, something I was very disappointed about. But then it was my old comedy chum, Joe Baines to the rescue. Uh, himself and uh, our other comedy colleague, Peter Merriment, decided to band together and put on our own show, where the, where the three of us uh, did did, uh, did an hour together. It was called Global Comedy 
Uh, I don't really know why. That, that was Joe's idea. And uh, we performed at half past midnight until half past one in the morning in the basement of City Cafe, which is a late night American themed uh, bar. And uh, our venue um, wasn't particularly glamorous. It was a karaoke booth called the 90s room which uh, i guess comfortably could fit about 15 to 20 people but 15 and it was pretty cramped um and uh, the on the walls there were pictures of the spice girls no aces and it was, it was a 90s themed room and it was absolutely ridiculous i was really scared the first night because i just remembered uh the crowd being pretty rowdy uh, and them all being crammed in that little room and i thought this is going to be a nightmare and then uh, i was waiting in the corridor because there was no room for me to actually wait in the room and I was announced onto stage I burst through the door up onto our tiny postage stamp of a stage and wow they were really really nice uh, it's really strange some nights uh, the audiences are just so different night to night some nights you we, for, we can forget it was half past midnight and it might as well have been half past um, 12 in the afternoon because some of them were really lovely other nights were harder than others Saturday night was a, a bit of a write off really the crowd were just incredibly drunk didn't really want to hear jokes and just liked it when you took the mick out of them and insulted them um, which is very very weird like I had a bit of a go at one bloke in, in the gig and afterwards he bent me at the bar and went oh thanks mate really enjoyed that really funny I was thinking is this what? Why do people want this? Very, very bizarre. So it was kind of chaotic. My my sort of uh, schedule would be. Um I would uh, do the gig at half past midnight to half past one. Then sometimes I'd either go and watch a show or go and perform at another one. So I'd get to bed between about three o'clock and four o'clock in the morning. I would then wake up at about half past nine, just in time for the breakfast at the hall of residence that I was staying in. And then I'd either go straight out again or uh, to do gigs, or I'd uh, go back to bed until lunchtime. So my whole day sort of shifted. Uh, so coming back to my normality of uh, nine to five working uh, was, was a bit ridiculous. I, I was half asleep for all of last week. Um, so it's it's pretty mad. All kinds of ridiculous things happen. And the way the fringe works, it is a lot of the shows are free to get in, and then uh, comics ask for a donation and a bucket on the way out. Uh, but this is the modern age. We came armed with a card reader, so people couldn't use the excuse of oh well, I haven't got any cash on me. Um, uh, but then, <laughs> but this led to a rather ridiculous incident where uh, Peter Merriment uh, accidentally sat on his own card reader and uh, effectively mugged himself. I was halfway for a joke, and uh, at the back of the room I heard this beep as the card reader merrily deducted a fiver from Peter Merriment. And just to give you an idea of what we were performing in each night, I recorded a quick gig report with with Joe after one of the shows, and this was a, an unusual show because we didn't have that many in, and two of them were just really, really difficult. But I ended up having a really nice time. And it just shows you how just your mindset and how your mood and how the room is. It, it, it just can be completely different each night. In fact, I'd been rock climbing. I managed to make friends with a guy called Trevor. who He runs a print shop in Edinburgh. I just put out an appeal if there was anyone that wanted to go rock climbing because I heard of an amazing rock climbing centre. And he replied. So I'd spent the whole day out of the fringe rock climbing. And I think I was just full of adrenaline from that so I think that might have uh, pushed uh, me through the gig a bit better so a bit of advice for you if you want to do well at a gig uh, go rock climbing for about four hours beforehand um, it's very weird though and so here is me talking to Joe uh, in the basement of City Cafe 
just after our Edinburgh show, sometime after 1.30am on Thursday the 22nd of August. This is the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast with Rodders. We're in the 90s room at City Cafe and we've just done our, well, it's my third show with you, isn't it? Fourth, third show. Um, Last night was busy. Last night was, and then the the first night was very, very busy. But today they're a bit odd. Some of them were really, really nice and then two of them just sort of sat there, arms folded and just kept being unhelpful. Yeah, and and I kept losing in my place because, um, yeah, I should have been better. I should have been way better than this. But I kept, um, I kept, getting interrupted and i didn't know um and i couldn't get back to it you know i couldn't recover so i it's yeah. they were nicer last night but i felt more in control and on top of stuff tonight you, today you were on fire you were like you were way better than either of us two today you you engaged them all like yeah so you were yours was this is your crowd basically it was difficult because like it was a very small room, so you're never going to get huge laughs. Although the America, the Ohio people that have now they moved to London, they, they, yeah, they, they but they had a lovely yeah. loud laugh. Yeah. Like especially the woman, she had a yeah. brilliant loud laugh, and that noise kind of lifted our spirit a bit. So I think if it wasn't for them, and the Swiss girls were nice, they were really yes, funny. Yeah, they were nice. Too. Um, yeah. yeah. Wow. I mean, the cultural references they would have got of ours, they, they seem to like. Mm. But it is a strange venue, and do, do you want to have a go at describing it? The, the room we're in. Uh, we're in a karaoke room, and it's it's a very small room. Um, it's bigger than my, it's smaller than my, my bedroom. Actually, I would say my bedroom in central London is bigger than this. Way bigger than this. Yeah, I think. Yeah, mine's probably about maybe a bit bigger. It's a karaoke booth. What's really weird about tonight? If we'd had this, I think I was tired last night. So if we'd had this happen last night, I would have been gutted, and I probably would have died um, figuratively. I mean, I would have done badly on stage, but. Tonight I went climbing, and I'm, I think I'm still full of climbing adrenaline. Ah. See, for me, I I went to sleep late because we got back late, and I had to wake up early, and so I am knackered. I, so I've not had any sleep. I've only had like three hours sleep. Oh God, that's the t- the toll Edinburgh takes. And you've also been here the whole month. I've only been here the week, so oh, yeah. it's starting to catch up a bit. I'm I need to sort my sleep out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, yeah, thank you very much. That was brilliant, yeah. Yeah, no worries. Uh, uh, Same again tomorrow, James? Yeah, same again tomorrow. All right. That was Joe Baines and me, a rather sleep-deprived Joe Baines there in City Cafe in Edinburgh. We had a great run of gigs, but my goodness, did it make us tired. I do advise you go back into the archives of the Stand and Deliver podcast and listen to the episode I did with Joe Baines. Got an absolutely crazy life story to tell, uh, well worth you listening to. Makes your commute a bit more interesting, I'm sure. Uh, Right, let's bring on our guest, shall we? None other than professional wrestler, stand-up comic, lover of all things stand-up comedy, Colt Caban. And we discovered that actually stand-up comedy and professional wrestling have a lot more in common than you'd first think. We talked about how we ended up performing together at last year's Fringe and how wrestling being viewed more as an art opens more possibilities for the wrestlers. How wrestlers can improvise and change things on the fly in the same way that a comedian can change up their set if things aren't working. And how they have to perform to different audiences, much in the same way comedians do. And how the structure of a wrestling match is actually pretty similar to the structure of a stand-up comedy set. We also hear about his unusual but highly successful and entertaining Edinburgh Fringe show and the first time he performed stand-up comedy. This is Colt Gabbana. Or rather, should I say, 
In the red corner, weighing in at 240 pounds, from Chicago, Illinois, this is Boom Boom Colt Cabana. Usually we interview comedians, but now we're interviewing a... What are you saying? <laughs> part-time comedian. What okay- are you saying? You <laughs> saw my show the other night. <laughs> I did. Night. No, I laughed. I, I was going to say occasional comedian, full-time professional wrestler. I did comedy on your show. <laughs> you did, but you weren't expecting to, were you? Correct. But, but did I do stand-up? <laughs> you did. And, I, 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 and did I, I get the old, the blue hairs to laugh? You did. You did indeed. Our audience of 60-year-old women absolutely loved the Stone Cold Steve Austin reference. See? See? <laughs> no, wait, I, I did feel maybe I'd... I'd uh, accidentally misled you with that because you turned up the show was called Mirth in the Morning and it was a comedy compilation show themed around a radio show because that used to be my job and uh, you, you turned up expecting a radio show didn't mm-hmm. you? I expected to see I mean this fringe I was on BBC Radio Scotland and when oh. I showed up to do BBC Radio Scotland <laughs> I did a radio show a chat show which I'm good at um, so I assumed Yours was Murph in the Morning, which sounds like an American radio show. <laughs> yeah, a New York Irish shock jock called exactly, Murph. Exactly, yeah. Oh, Murph. I thought it was Murph. Okay, Murph. Murph is in laughter. That's <laughs> not a word that I know. Oh, uh, brilliant. Murph in the Morning. Oh, that's even better now. And um, yeah, and so then uh, it was stand-up, and I did stand-up. And so I'd like to think you could at least say I'm a... a a bit of a stand-up. Oh, no, I don't know. You're, you're, uh, you do more wrestling than stand-up than you. That's what I was getting okay, at. Okay, okay. Because if, if I were to say, oh, full-time comic, you go, hang on a minute, I've done quite a lot of wrestling. That's right. Hey, <laughs> you know my job. You know my yeah, exactly. Job. I don't want to go through that. That table looks too small, even for me to go through, and I don't fancy doing that. <laughs> well, this room is too small for it me. It is, isn't it? It's like... Um, uh, a, a very budget cage match it would be. Uh, mm. but let's not go there. I don't think people sometimes give wrestling as much credit because just like with any other art forms there's different ways of doing it there's different styles there's very serious wrestlers and you specialise in a comedy genre of wrestling is that true? Correct. So instead of and I think there's loads of you're still having to work a crowd so for what how would you describe comedy wrestling as opposed to well first of all when you say that the wrestling doesn't get as much credit in terms of the arts it's because for so long we have we haven't been out as an art Mm. so whereas Shakespeare in the whatever it was 1500s or whatever he's like I'm Shakespeare we we do theater whereas wrestling up until probably the 19 early 80s wrestling was like we're a legit sport even though they were doing Shakespeare in these in the twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, and sixties, so uh, it's just now that some people are trying to kind of break that fourth wall and be like, "Hey, we're we're artists here." So uh, maybe that's why we don't get as much love in the in the theater world or the art world. But I do comedy wrestling, which means I want to make people laugh. I'm not I'm not the wrestler that goes, "Oh, I'm gonna hurt you." I'm the wrestler mm. that's gonna make the audience laugh. I'm gonna uh, probably throw my opponent off his game by uh, doing something silly. And then that's how I'm going to win. So um, I, I do I, I do a justified version of it. It's not just like silliness for silliness sake. Mm-hmm. I stay within the boundaries of professional wrestling. And uh, within that, I, 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 I try to make my opponent laugh or make my, make my fans laugh. So the moves you're doing have to be possible within a, an athletic context. Right. Um, as if it is a legit contest, but then you bend the rules slightly and do daft things. So yeah, or, or play with the crowd or, or do whatever. Because it's amazing how closely guarded it, it all was and then how wide open it is now because you hear stories of wrestlers not even telling their wives and going through these horrific very bloody brutal matches not knowing that it, their wife being generally concerned about their health and not knowing that it was all all, all staged do you, do you think 
it's opened up possibilities for wrestlers now. Well, has it made the? I mean, you, you, does it give you more options in terms of what you can do as a performer? Yeah, I guess. But I feel the I feel performers back in the day, even even though wrestlers weren't telling their wives, but I think performer performers back in the day could look at wrestling and go, "Oh, I know what that is. Maybe they'd be good in the wrestling or in our world." The same, you know, way like, I don't know the French Angel, um, Maurice Tillet did. Uh, you know, was a, a 1940s, 1930s, 40s, 50s, uh, you know, legend. Uh, the same way that they put him in movies because he was like a freak. It's like they they knew he could do it because they were performers. But to to the to the regular person, uh, I guess we call him to the mark. You mm, know, yeah. back in the day, you know, they 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 didn't know what was going on or they had an idea, but our industry wouldn't allow people to know, and so. Um, so back then, I think it was kind of the same, and and now people know uh, wrestlers can be showmen and, and, and show women in other aspects of uh, of theater. I think are they t- are they? Do you find crowds somewhere a, a, a too too smart? Because surely when I go, go when I go and watch a show, uh, say so, you know, like Shakespeare's a good example. I'm not sitting there. I'm not sitting there going, oh well, that's a very good soliloquy he's memorized. I'm trying mm-hmm. to get caught up in the drama. Unlike with wrestling, I because I first watched it when I was nine, and when I really get caught up in watching it now, I feel like I'm nine when I didn't know any of the tricks and I didn't want to know any of the tricks tricks and you suspend belief and then you go home and then maybe you might talk about oh well how did you do that was there a trap door there or whatever mm-hmm. do you do you find that you're now having to play sort of to two types of audience ones that are prepared to suspend disbelief and then others that are just trying to get one over yeah but i, I feel i've been doing that for 20 years like mm. uh, you know even when i started in 99 like the internet was still a thing and there was those kind of fans there's always been those kind of fans so maybe you know uh, the fan is a little more smarter in terms of what we're doing now but um, you would be the perfect example of the of the the audience member that we would want as wrestlers, mm-hmm. and I you know I think fans I don't know what their thought process is when they're saying there's a trap door. It's just it's a bit annoying, but there's tons of them, and especially with the internet, as, you know, as easily accessible accessible as it is. You know, it's it's not hard to to do that as somebody at a wrestling show. It's like the people who ask uh, magicians after the show, "Oh, well, how do you do that?" Well, a they're not going to tell you, and B, why do you want to know? Because it won't oh, be as fun next time. Mm, <laughs> I would want to know would for you? sure, for <laughs> sure. Uh, I wouldn't ask them during the show, but I, I think if they would offer me up that information, I'd probably ask them. But then I would be like great trick me next time with a different trick <laughs> so with with um wrestling done to a, to a comedy style yeah what are the is it i guess it, well obviously it's it's physical comedy but how how do you is it still fo- follow the same structure? i'm trying to sort of compare stand-up comedy mm-hmm. to physical ring comedy is there still a setup and a, and a punchline how do you yeah i have my bits mm-hmm. you know i've got bits that i have that uh you know i've got probably the same way you would have a joke the same way on your hand right now you've got a bunch of things yeah. written down <laughs> you know in the back of my head or, or my back pocket I, you know hypothetically I would have stuff that I could go to that I could do I have longer ones I have shorter ones um, I know that if I'm doing a long one it doesn't work in the in if the setup is, isn't working I'm not going to go for the punchline I'm just going to move on to something else uh, and that's all trial and error trial and error <laughs> uh, you know 20 years of kind of and then I, you know I, 20 years I've been wrestling but you know maybe I don't know if 13 years I've really really been dissecting kind of this comedy style of wrestling that I've really liked and evolved so it's been you know maybe 13 years of really really trying new stuff and seeing and understanding a crowd and that psychology so like you know I have a really good grasp of how to move crowds up and down 
uh, through wrestling moves or emotion or whatever it might be. I, you know, it could be emotion, but I, I'll, I like to use wrestling moves to bring their emotion up and mm. down. Not necessarily, you know, if you see my stuff, I don't necessarily like too much. Like, no, Colts, I love you. Don't hurt him. You know, it's more uh, we're having laughing, we're having fun, and we're laughing. Yeah, so. it's not the, it's not the typical baby face trying to get sympathy off the crowd by being clobbered for a bit and then making a comeback. It's right. much more it's much more surprising than that. And then occasionally you'll do something absolutely insane like the uh, moonsault you did off the apron uh, in AEW doing that battle royal yeah I mean when there's, that- there's 15,000 people and you know you could do something cool and you know I, I used to do that a lot when I was younger but I just don't do it that as much and so uh, yeah, I want to bust out tricks, especially wrestling fans kind of know me as, uh, you know, a bit, a bit of a clown when it comes to wrestling. So I can always show a different side. I'm obviously trained. Yeah. It's, it's like somebody who's uh, an actor who's trained in comedy. And then, you know, it's like Jim Carrey. I'm not a compl- comparing myself to Jim Carrey, mm-hmm. but Jim Carrey doing comedy, comedy, comedy. And then he does, you know, a serious, a serious role. And you're like, whoa, you know, I, and it's like, yeah, he's a trained actor. So for me, it's like, yeah, he's a trained professional wrestler. He can do something crazy. Or, you know, he can pull stuff out that you didn't think he was capable of. Yeah. I just like to do the other stuff. But I'll, I'll throw stuff in there. Because I guess to the casual viewer, they haven't, they don't have in the back of their head, oh, yeah, he's been doing this for a long time. Obviously, he can do a range of things. They just see you there and then and what they've seen before. Mm-hmm. So if you pull out something unexpected, that's a, a way to get him, I suppose. And I do that a lot. Like, like I do a, a moon, like a backflip off the second rope a lot. Uh, which people just don't expect yeah. me to do, especially now that I'm older. You know, I'm almost forty, mm-hmm. and so and I'm two hundred and you know forty pounds. So it's like when they see that, people are like, "Whoa!" And it's like, "Yeah, I, it's something I can do." And also, you're like the you. You seem to be the right. So it doesn't look completely mad. Like when Brock Lesnar did it <laughs> and and, and nearly landed on his head. Yeah, it just seems to think, well, why does someone of that size need to do that? Whereas if if you've done it, it's surprising. But it seems like part of your arsenal that you keep hidden for an emergency match uh, thing in a match Uh, but it's interesting you're saying about how if stuff's not going well you can shorten the bit so just with if I'm out on stage and my uh, bit's not going well I can chop and change to another joke but A your 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 uh, humor is, is physical and you've got another person uh that you're you're uh, that's you you're wrestling with so how do they know when you <laughs> want to swap the bit do they do you just rely on them being able to read you well as somebody who's been doing it a long time and also you know we, we could talk in there so as someone yeah. I, you know i'm kind of the ring leader the ring general of the match for the most part and so i'll make that call and then you know when they see i'm not doing the next thing that we're supposed to be doing then yeah, a good wrestler will understand it and then probably wait for me to say, this is what we're going to do next, and then we'll go to that move or we'll go to that bit. Or we'll, you know, if someone's very experienced, then we'll kind of, we'll feel off of what the crowd's energy is giving us. And that's the best when you have, Mm. right? Like I am a singles wrestler, but we are doing this kind of together and I'm having a different improv uh, partner every single night of the week. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of what it is. So when you have someone who really knows what they're doing, it, it's not just me leading the charge, but we can do it together. And that's that's when it's really fun. So there's, there's other similarities to stand-up in the way that it's you're traveling, well, even more than stand-up. Stand-ups get a lot tend to travel around the same country. Mm. Um, in the UK, they spend a lot of time on the M3 motorway or in cars and stuff, and you're flying across whole countries. Yeah, but when I started, I was, you know, we were doing traveling the highways and, and driving a lot, but now it's, you know, the success has allowed me to, to fly around now, yeah. So it's like you, you have a different type of audience every night how do you st- and you've still got to get across your character but the same way you've got to give that audience what they want like mm-hmm. i better a uh, a audience and i'm just going to pull out the only states i know i better another uh, crowd in louisville kentucky mm-hmm. will be 
different have different tastes to Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah, yet you can't they, suddenly change your gimmick totally. No, but I can because it, it's the same thing of like if I was wrestling. Let's say let's use the UK as an example. Mm-hmm. You know, one day and this happened. One day I was wrestling. Uh, at a Pontlands, thing. yeah, and then that night I wrestled, you know, at the garage in in Glasgow, which is eight, they're twenty one and over drunk people. So, uh, you know, I'm wrestling for the kids in the morning, and I'm wrestling for the crazy drunks at night. I'm gonna change, yeah, you know, t- to appease my my crowd. So I'm gonna do a little more sillier and a little more goofier for the kids. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to be a little more raunchier uh, at night, you know, for the adults. And so that's kind of how you, you do change it. So it, it's similar to how a comedian will do a cleaner set for a younger audience or, or, or vice versa. Mm-hmm. And is it, um, I guess, because the lineup of a, obviously, you know, from watching comedy and being involved in comedy, the lineup of a comedy night is so important because if you're a lot one liner comic and you follow another one liner comic, that's mm. already like the crowd are like, well, we've seen this. Right. So is it similar with wrestling, who you pair? against who for matches yeah we call it wrestling psychology and uh there's a psychology of the match you know of an actual match so it's the Mm -hmm. same idea of the psychology of a set so you know you want to if i'm going to do stand-up i'm going to want to come like really early i'm going to want to get them on my side like i'm not just going to tell a long story that doesn't have a punchline for three minutes to open my set right yeah did you agree with that yeah yeah you gotta get you gotta win their trust get right get a couple jokes off this off the bat to let them know that you're a funny person especially the brits they're very nervous if they don't (laughs) think you know what you're doing they'll panic and lose faith very very quickly i find yeah so with wrestling you want to do you want to do some quick things so they're like oh this one's gonna have some action it's gonna be good i like that person i don't like that person and then you, you build a psychology within a match and it's the same thing within a within a, a match within a card structure. You know, you mm. want to have a, it's it's very similar to stand up. You want to have, a, you know, a two hour show is the best. You know, maybe stand up an hour and a half is the best. Uh, but for for wrestling, a two hour show, uh, you know, very distinctive characters, and you want to kind of change it. Uh, you know, you want good versus bad, and then you know sometimes maybe the, a woman a woman's match or a little person's match or a, a tag team mm-hmm. match. You know, just all different variety, and you want different variety within the card. You know, in um, Doctor Tom, his famous line, Doctor Tom Pritchard, who was a mm-hmm. trainer for the WWE, he trained the Rock. Actually, he always said thirty one flavors, which I don't know if you guys have, but it's an ice cream an ice cream shop in America that's very famous. It's called Thirty One Flavors. Where if you go to an ice cream store, not everyone wants chocolate. Some people want vanilla, some people want chocolate, some people want butterscotch, some people want, you know, rainbow delight. And that's yeah, there's no point all the wrestlers being the same, I right. guess. It's it's people have different tastes, so you want a piece to everyone, just like thirty one flavors has it's called Baskin Robbins, but they're also called thirty one flavors. That's when you go into that store you can choose. And so when you go to a wrestling show, you can you know, you get a variety. Yeah, it's the same with comedy, isn't it? Like the because I saw you the other night at uh, Alternative Com- Comedy Memorial Society. Mm. And I've only I've been there twice this week, and that's the first times I've been to it. It's absolutely mad because I went there to do a spot, and I thought, do they only like mental stuff? Do they only like weird acts? And then somebody got up and did some very, very uh, sort of down the middle club style LA comedy, and they loved it. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh thank goodness. And I thought, oh well, I can't be weird enough for this lot. They're going to hate me. <laughs> but they just seem to want everything. And you, do you perform sets for the most most nights while you're here? That's where I do, I do yeah, a lot of yeah. stand-up that I do is ACMS. And I, it's very, it seems very similar to, like, late, uh, 
like 2010 UCB culture, if you if you will, which I used to go to there a lot when I wrestled in Los Angeles. It was it was just very yeah. The ACMS is just very friendly and, mm-hmm. and giving and supportive is the word I'm looking it's for. It's just they they want entertainment and they're not too fussed what what it is. Yeah. <laughs> like we saw like a woman. Uh, wore, wore a fat suit, climbed over the, everyone's chair, making weird noises, and it, ever they were all fine with that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, yeah it's, I guess it's supposed to be madness, but they'll they'll laugh at whatever you give them. So, I think it's that supportive nature, and that's the, that was the whole point of, of ACMS is that it's all it's, it's a place to do alternative stuff and to be supported, and and you're supposed to do something different. And the crowd will go up and they'll lead you like they don't want you to be embarrassed to try something different because that's where probably great, you know, great comedy comes from is people trying stuff and doing something different. And if there wasn't a place like that, then, you know, maybe we wouldn't get some of the weirder stuff in the world of comedy. I guess it's the same true of wrestling. There needs to be places and there needs to be promotions that are open like DDT in Japan. That Mm -hmm. seems to be my go to if I want to see something absolutely mad like a giant panda. Does then is this sort of stuff really necessary for developing characters and stuff because if there are if there are promotions that are more controlling then isn't everyone going to be sort of the same because they'll try to mold themselves towards what that place wants yeah i, I think it's, it's important for for performers to stretch the bo- the bounds of who they are as performers to find out who they are so it's not like we need like oh like maybe this person would make a great ant we don't know but it's important for wrestlers to like not be in one specific thing and just like be able to do crazy shit so then eventually they can get to the point where they are mm. um, or where they want to be, if that makes any yeah. sense. I guess it is a little bit what you said. But, I mean, if you if you don't stretch the edges, you're not going to, you know, you can reel yourself in, but you're not going to know what, if you don't stretch those edges, you're not going to, your edges are going to be so small and you're not, you want to just be as wide and broad as, as humanly possible. So you want to try as many things to find what you're actually yeah, or best at. Yeah, or just that you know you have the freedom to try stuff. And a lot of people, that's like, like I guess WWE, they'll give them the wrestlers crab for us because it's just like these guys are, are, are afraid to experiment. Of course they are. Mm. A, because... They're on national tele, um, international and television. And it's their job. That's how they support their families. Right. I think that's what a lot of uh, the marks don't understand what yeah. watching at home. So, but, you know, some of those people, that's where they get the best creativity. And that's how it was back in the day. But it's just everyone's under a microscope. And I get it. I get it. But um, when you do have an opportunity like that to just do whatever you want and not care and 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 know that you can fail, that's, that's an important thing is to, that you know you can fail and you'll still be allowed to do it the next day. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, in big time wrestling, you know, if you fail, that opportunity might not be there for you. It's one of these things where you just, I guess, with wrestling and stand up, you have to learn it on the job by by doing it. There's only so much theory before you just have to get in sure, up on the stage of or in, in a with anything. Though you it's, you can't. You can do as much college as you want, but you got to be in the workplace to figure out stuff out. That's true, unless you're just writing essays and getting a doctorate or something. But when when was the first time you did stand up? And how sort of emotionally did it compare to when the first time you went out there and wrestled in front of an audience? Uh, the first time I did stand-up was uh, when I got fired for the WWE. Mm-hmm. Mick Foley was doing a, a stand-up show in Hollywood, and the promoter asked if, if I, because I was kind of hot right off WWE and known as a kind of comedy guy. He was like, do you want to try stand-up and, and open for Mick? And I was like, yeah, of course I do. So, uh, I, yeah, I did 10 minutes. I In my head, it was like memorizing a wrestling promo. Right. And so that's how I kind of did it. And like, I really liked that. It was like going over a match also, like when I was going over like my set in my head. And obviously like I had written it step by step by step when I was saying it to the crowd. But in the moment with the wrestling knowledge that I had, I was able to kind of 
be a little bit looser and and shake and move stuff around a little bit but i i, I did and do really enjoy it uh I, I i do like having a specific thing while i'm up there and knowing like I, if i have like four or five jokes that i know i have uh it, it keeps me at ease whereas opposed to just like if, if they're like oh go up there for 20 minutes and i only have 10 minutes of material uh that yeah that would freak me out you so, know? so you, you can you improvise you prefer improvising in the ring more to improvising yes. doing a stand-up set well because I, i'm yeah. just not as experienced in the stand-up and i'd love to be at a point in stand-up where i'd be as comfortable on the stage as i am in the ring that's like a that would be a goal of mine but having all the sort of the doing the promos and stuff must be a massive massive head of course start. yeah i'm at more of an advantage than yeah. i am than than people starting off because of, I have 20 years of, ex, of stage experience, but I, uh, which happens to be in the ring, you know, but I, I'm less of it than a seasoned stand-up pro. There seems to be an unusually high percentage of comedians that are mad on wrestling. Mm-hmm. Do you, what do you think the no, reason why that is? Because it does seem to be, now that wrestling has thankfully become cool again and more and more people are watching it and more people are tuned like the, the british tv are mad for not putting it on tv because like there's there's big shows progress wrestling in london sells hundreds well, of tickets they tried, every month they threw it on itv and it, yeah it lasted one show i was, I was so <laughs> disappointed because i was prepared to stick with that i would have yeah. i would have watched that no matter what it was like every week out of patriotism of course well it's good for me with the crossover because I love comedy so much, and so I have a lot of friends within comedy that love wrestling, so I'm accepted and I'm brought into the scene, and um, it's great for me, you know? <laughs> Fantastic. I don't, I, what the reason is, I don't know. You know, I think we're all kind of dorks in one way or another, so a lot of us like comic books, or a lot of us like G.I. Joe, or, or wrestling, you know, it's just different things, and just with, with the numbers, you know, it's, you know, there's I think there's more people that like comic books and G.I. Joe than are like suave nightclub boys you know like of like cool people i guess because that's what i think that maybe that's it because the, the the sort of comedy i like is the kind of counterculture a bit on the fringes a, a bit bit mad like people like paul foot or paul f taylor not not just people called paul but it's all the <laughs> stuff and the wrestlers i like are the ones that are a bit renegade and anarchic paul, and don't... Or paul white <laughs> paul, giant... paul, paul london, <laughs> paul london yeah. <laughs> yeah but I, I wonder if there's that kind of kicking against something underdog mentality that goes with it maybe yeah mm. so uh just want to talk about your edinburgh show it's now being running for how many years now this is the seventh year doing it yeah and i it... did it with six years with a guy named brendan burns who won the edinburgh fringe festival in 2008 uh, we started in 2013, and then this year, uh, John Hastings took over the spot for Brendan Burns, and uh, it's been wonderful. We watch wrestling every single night, different clips, different guests, and uh, we've had some really great guests this year, um, which is kind of cool, because someone the other day was just like, well, you guys get are getting really good guests. And, uh, you know, there was a clip of me, like, hanging on stage with, with Nish Kumar and, uh, you know, David O'Doherty did our show. Was that when he explained Brexit to you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, it's fun. I think just because I'm, I'm, I'm from a different world, but I'm also doing a show every night and I've been doing it for a long time. You know, I'm meeting these people and making friends with different people. And so, and John's such a seasoned comedian. So, uh, between the two of us, we have a lot of great friends up here at the Fringe uh, to do fun guests with and watch wrestling with. And, um, um, you know, as long as I don't get bound down by some kind of contract or whatever, I, mm-hmm. you know, I'd like to be here for another 10 years if possible. Uh, I really enjoy doing the Fringe. 
And by contract, I would also mean family, maybe too. Yeah, <laughs> I don't get bound down by a family. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, but I, I really enjoy it. I really love coming and watching shows. I like to get inspired. I like seeing other arts, other culture. And then every night at eleven, I get to watch wrestling and make some money. Because it's, it's established now. It's been going a few years, and it's one of those shows you you have to back um, book a ticket. Otherwise, the odds of you getting in is, is quite small. It's either full or there's only a tiny percentage of seats left mm. what was it like though, the first year did it seem like a, a crazy idea because it's very left field no because I you know I'm such a comedy nerd I, I had always heard of the fringe I'd heard of people going to Edinburgh um, the year before that there was a, a comedian named Eddie Pepitone who I used to listen to his podcast and he would he talked about how he went to the Edinburgh and so I, I would get a kind of a decent understanding of what these people were doing I kind of got the idea that you go over there and, and do the same show every single night and all these little venues and so um, I, I knew what I was. I kind of knew what I was getting into. Obviously, when I got here, I, it was on a, it was crazier and a much bigger scale than I'd ever thought it would be. But because it's all within like a mile radius, and you could walk anywhere and get anywhere. That's what I really like. It's just like this little town of comedy. It's like a, pl- like a comedy planet, isn't it? It's very it bizarre. Is. It's like no place in the universe. There's nothing like it. And so that's why I love being here and I love being involved and I love that I'm accepted. So, um, yeah, the first year was in a 50-seater and we did pretty good numbers. The next year we moved to a 150-seater and uh, the numbers weren't as good. Mm. <laughs> we weren't feeling But we had some really uh, – we had some good nights. Um um, but it's it, they've all every year it's gotten better the format's gotten better it's gotten crisper hmm. I've figured out the show a lot more you know I'm kind of like the MC of it I'm leading all the clips and so yeah and the, and the tech seems to run pretty smoothly yeah. and it just like there's a there's an awful lot of stuff packed into the hour like, it's mm-hmm. amazing when you look at your watch and think oh wow how did they get through all that in an hour right it goes by quick and I think that's that's the cool thing about the fringe is it's a 60 minute show people only expect a 60 minute show so we leave them wanting more. And you know, hopefully they say they'll come back the next show. You can see it definitely more than once because right. it's different guests and all, and all yeah. sorts. I think it's almost better for non-wrestling fans though. The, the look on my mate Joe's face when he did never watch wrestling, he's that name. He's like, what? On earth? Yeah. But that's the marketing problem: is getting the people that don't know to come. Because I think a lot of people think it's just for wrestling fans. Mm. Um, but that's the key. That's where we're a little stuck. Of like, how do we tell the world that it is for not? It's mo- almost more for non-wrestling fans than it is. That's what I told my mate because I was like, there's always a sizable percentage of people that don't watch wrestling. Mm-hmm. And that segment when you find a non-wrestling fan and tell them, uh, get them to guess what happens next. Right. And <laughs> some of the stories are so predictable that they always get it right. Right. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for inviting me into your Edinburgh studio apartment. Yeah, that's right. Uh, where can people go to? find out where you will be appearing next oh well uh at cold cabana is my twitter and my instagram and my website is coldcabana.com and um maybe i i did a a documentary about comedy wrestling uh which involves myself grado who is on two doors down uh for the ones who don't know who grado is and a, and a japanese wrestler named kikutaro we we did like a weekend of wrestling shows and we documented it we kind of broke down comedy wrestling in general and that's a it's called the wrestling road diaries three and that's available um you can find that at colcabana.com and uh you could digitally download it or buy a hard copy and i'll send it to you signed um that's about it brilliant I'd Cole say, Cabana. I, yeah i'd say listen to my podcast but i'm, I'm wrapping my podcast up so mm, well, don't you can't listen to it get on the patreon and watch it and listen to it once a quarter or something um I don't know, man. Okay. Yeah, I got all the old archives. Myself and Marty are doing something. Marty Drosa, another stand-up. We're going to do a quarterly podcast. I'm going to put stuff out. I've I've been putting out so much fringe stuff, uh, a bunch of clips and whole shows. So uh, if you want to watch the whole show of David O'Doherty, watch wrestling, which is something you probably never (laughs) knew you'd want to see. Patreon.com slash Cold Cabana. 
Brilliant. Cole Cabana, thank you very much. Cheers. This is the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast. So that was Colt Cabana, an unusual guest, but an excellent one. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me the other week in Edinburgh. So we now learned that stand-up comedy and wrestling aren't really that different. Although I'd really like to think in stand-up comedy, there is a lot less chance of being thrown through a table. Although, if you've ever gigged in Swindon, uh, you do wander. Right, there's just about enough time for me to wrap up this podcast neatly with some upcoming gigs from my diary and some news of what's happening at the Stand and Deliver Comedy Club. On the 12th of September, uh, Stand and Deliver is back after its summer holiday. And, uh, well, we've got an amazing opener. We have Bob Munro, incredibly dry, uh, witty and unusual one-liners. The last time I saw him was at the Blackout in Greenwich, which is a notoriously difficult comedy competition. And our headliner is Harriet Dyer. She's absolutely brilliant. You might have heard her on BBC Radio 4 Extra or seen her on BBC Three. And she was also on a dinner date uh, where she didn't cook the chicken properly. Although more importantly, she's an excellent comedian and well worth coming to see. And I will be hosting the show. I'm your MC for that evening and I love MCing at the club. You never know what's going to happen when I'm on stage because uh, I certainly don't. At time of recording, there are still some tickets left, so go to standanddelivercomedy.com or go to Facebook and look up Stand and Deliver Comedy Club and uh, book your tickets right now. Uh, One more highlight from my gig diary before I go. On Tuesday, the 24th of September, I'm going to be at the Off the Rails Comedy Night in Winchester at the Railway Inn. It's meant to be a good one. Never performed there before. Well, I have, but not for this promoter. Uh, But it looks like it's going to be a really fun night, so, so turn up there if you're near Winchester. Why not? And that's pretty much it for today's podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Our theme music was recorded and composed by Adam Wykert. You can find out more at adamwykert.com, W-E-I-K-E-R-T. Please, if, you didn't, if you've enjoyed it, write me a review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, as it might still be called. I'm not really sure. They've sort of done a rebrand. Why do I keep begging you guys to write reviews? Because it actually matters. It makes a difference to the number of people that hear the podcast, because every good review sends us higher up the podcast charts, gets more eyes on it and therefore more eyes means more ears because people click download it's really really quick for you to do and if you can't do it because maybe you listen to it on something weird that doesn't allow you to review uh, just share it uh, post it on your facebook uh, send it to a friend who's into comedy and uh, yeah i'll be very very grateful uh, so this is rodders signing out for the stand and deliver comedy podcast bye oh.